Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, one of my favorite passages. Uh, We talked about Ephesians 4 last week and about recognizing what your future can be and releasing the past and responding to your now. Uh, Ephesians 2 is one of those great chapters that's oftentimes quoted. uh, For by grace that we're we're saved through faith, it's not of ourselves, it's a free gift of God, it's not of works, we can't boast about it. Verse 10 is one of those key nuggets, if you will, when it comes to contemplating your identity in Christ and what God says to be true about you. Listen to this verse right here. He says, uh, Ephesians 2.10, he says, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance that we should walk in them. Now, it's an interesting word here in the Greek for workmanship. The way you spell that word is P-O-I-E-M-A, and it is pronounced poiema, poiema. When you, when you study that, you are his workmanship. Now, 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 get this, get this. The person sitting next to you is, is the workmanship of God. You're God's workmanship. Here's what it means. The word poiema is where we get the English word poetry from. You are unique set aside poetic piece of God. You are a masterpiece of God. God don't make junk. And so when God created you, Poema, you are God's beautiful masterpiece. You're not mass produced. There's no two people alike. We're all different. You're God's masterpiece. And God has created you in Christ Jesus Here's the emphasis. We repent, we respond to the gospel, surrender to the lordship of Christ. You've been created in Christ Jesus, watch it, to do good works. Now, we don't work for salvation. We work from salvation. We're not working so that God likes us and so we can find favor. God said he loves us. He Known his son to the cross and raised him on the third day and through faith I have a relationship with God. I'm working from the gift of salvation God has given me. So the cool thing is you are God's workmanship, poema. You are his masterpiece. There's nobody else on the planet like you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Now get this right here. Get it. Get this. So as we've been going through and studying through the purpose-driven life, this whole week, this past week, as we contemplated it, it's kind of looking at what your shape is. And so when we talk about shape, we're talking about the spiritual gifts that God's given us. When we are born again, God pours certain spiritual gifts inside of us. They're anointed by God, appointed by God for you individually. Here's another thing we have. We have a H, the the spiritual gifts, and we also have a heart. Each and every one of us, our heart, meaning our thinking, our emotions, our will, is totally unique. Based on your marinade, where you come from, your heart is different. What makes you mad, glad, and sad doesn't necessarily make the other person three rows behind you mad, glad, and sad. There's certain things that are unique about you. Here's another one. God has given you certain abilities. Those things probably started being uh, crafted in on and, 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 and tightened up from the time you were born. There were certain abilities I had. Uh, some of them I thought were athletic abilities, and I didn't know I had speaking abilities, but undoubtedly I did. But, but God poured certain abilities inside of me, and I'm like, wow. I mean, that was a gift from God. The personality you have is unique. You, you know that about you. If you study uh, Tim LaHaye, 
He talks about being a sanguine or phlegmatic or caloric, all these different kind of personality types. And it's like there's different personalities. Some are dark and some are more lighthearted. John Trent and Gary Smalley wrote this book and he talks about some are like lions and some are beavers and some are golden retrievers and the otters. And so, so, so your personality is unique to you. And then you have experiences in life that nobody else has had the same experiences you've had. So check it, check it out. Check it out. And there are some people that you wouldn't want to have the same experiences that you've had based on some of the stupid stuff you did. But here's the reality. Your shape is unique. Your shape is special. And so God has wired us all in a unique way. Now, that's a cool thing to know. No, no two people in this room today are alike. But as a result of being made and shaped by God, when we, when we come to church and we take part in what we call the body of Christ, listen to this, you're to make a contribution, not just consume. We, we have partners here. We don't have members. And partners are partners with others that are part of distributing the good news of the gospel and loving on people together. Members a lot of times will consume, but partners will distribute. So when God saved us and brought me into the family, he wants me to give something back, okay? He wants me to take the shape that he's given me and bring it back to the altar, lay it before him and say, use me however you want to use me. Now, here's a great passage. First, Peter chapter 4 verse 10 says this. God has given spiritual gifts to each of you. God has given spiritual gifts to each of you. Manage them so well that God's generosity can flow through you to serve others. So whatever gifts, abilities, personality, experiences, whatever, with these spiritual gifts, God's poured certain things inside of us. He says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to allow the generosity of God to flow through you so that others can be touched and impacted. Now, God's called us all to serve. God's called us all to be a part of impacting others. So my assignment and your assignment on this planet is to serve God and serve others. Here's the reality. When when we come together and we use our, all of us, the variety of shapes that we have, and we come together and work together and extend the love of Christ to other people, what we're doing is we're ministering. We're ministering. So, so you may not be a pastor, but you're a minister. This, this is something you got to know. As you walk through life this week, even this afternoon, you're going to have an opportunity to minister. It'd be good to look at your spouse and say, you're a minister. That's not just for Bobby and Shelly. It's for all of you. <laughs> look, look at your, 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 your neighbor and say, you're a minister. Hey, I said, say you're a minister. You guys are, this ain't, this ain't monotone up here now, monologue. This is, come on. You're a minister. You really are a minister. You're a minister. And, and 2 Corinthians says that God made Jesus who knew no sin to become sin so that we might become, watch this, watch this, we might become the righteousness of God and God has now given us the ministry of reconciliation as though we are now being used by God to go out into the world to make a declaration to the world about the good news of the gospel. That's what God wants us all to be about. So you're a minister, and I am a minister. Now, your shape will determine what style of ministry you do, 
but your attitude will determine the maturity that you have as you do life. One of my favorite thought processes over the years has been this. Your giftedness will give you a platform. Your humility and honesty and dependability will give you ministry. There's a lot of people that are gifted when it comes to abilities and talents. But what gives us authentic ministry is humility and brokenness and dependability and honesty. You take those things out of the equation, I don't care how gifted you are, all you've got is a platform maybe with a few people that you call your audience, but you're not having ministry. So a servant's heart with a godly attitude is going to give us an opportunity to really have authentic ministry as we advance the kingdom of Christ. Now, this is where God is calling us to. Now, Jesus was the ultimate servant. Matthew chapter 20, verse 28 says, For even I, the Son of Man, did not come to be served, but I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Now, this is a missional statement from Jesus, our Messiah and Lord. For even I, the Son of God, this is Jesus speaking, I did not come so that others would serve me and take care of me. I came to serve and to give my life away as a ransom for many, to redeem many, to bless many, to encourage many, to love many. So here it is. God has called me to walk and imitate my master Jesus. What kind of servant are you? Are you known as a, as a servant? How do I serve like Jesus? How do I get to the place where I can serve like Jesus? I want to give you three fundamental thoughts. One, you've got to learn to be available. Ability without availability is a liability. Am I available? God wants me available. He says right here in Matthew 20, 30 through 32, one day Jesus was leaving Jericho and he's walking down the road and a couple of blind guys started yelling at him, son of David, have mercy on us. Other people standing there, they're like, y'all need to hush, man. Leave him alone. Be, be quiet. Then the text reads this way. Jesus stopped and looked and said, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus stopped. As I have studied through the Gospels, and as I've studied the narrative of Scripture, the majority of Jesus' ministry and miracles took place as a result of him being interrupted. And I think the thing that hinders us at times from not being able to be used by God the way God wants us to is that we refuse to be interrupted. Jesus stopped. First miracle, he's hanging out at a wedding. He gets interrupted. Second miracle, on his way to Galilee, he gets interrupted. He's laying in the bottom of a boat, chilling, and the disciples freak out. And he's like, and he calms the winds and the sea. He was interrupted. And where God uses you and I the most oftentimes is when we've got our agenda and we've kind of got our game plan, but something happens in these divine intersections of life and we get interrupted. And we've got to stop. Hey, what's that sound? Everybody look what's going down, but stop. We've got to learn to stop and to say, I'm okay with being 
interrupted. Are you okay with being interrupted? Because I'm not saying that you don't have a game plan. And I'm not saying that you don't have a strategy and you don't have like point A, B, and C that you're trying to accomplish. But, but listen to me. Authentic ministry is usually unscripted. It's usually spontaneous. It's usually when God is doing something that we can't explain that he just happens to blow us in it and we go, wow, what, what, what just happened there? Nick and I have been talking about this, that life is not edited. Every record you listen to or CD or podcast that you listen to for the most part in regards to music, it's been edited. Every movie you watch, it may take them 12 hours to film a two-minute piece that they actually use in the movie. It's all edited. Life as we know it is not edited. It's raw. It's messy. It's muddy. It's dirty. And, 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 and so many people, when it comes to being a servant, uh, 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 here, here's one of the, 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 the problems. I, I can't be used by God. Why, why can't you be used by God? Because I'm not willing to get dirty. I'm not willing to serve because I won't get dirty. And, and, and each and every one of us live in this fallen, dirty, messy world where life is not edited. It's not edited. It's unscripted. If you're ever going to be used by God, you've got to be willing to embrace the unscripted life. Well, I got my sermon down just the way I want it. How's that working? You've got to leave room for the Holy Spirit to blow and do what he wants to do. You've got to make yourself available. Jesus, stop. Listen to what he says right here. Proverbs 3.28. Never tell your neighbors to wait until tomorrow if you can help them right now. I'll get with you tomorrow. No, 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 no. Don't, don't procrastinate. Be sensitive. Be spontaneous. And, and this would change us if we changed our prayer life in the morning. Lord, what do you want to do right now? What do you want to do in me and through me and with me today? What is going to glorify you? Don't tell him, hey, hey, I'll hook up with you later on. Sometimes, yes. But a lot of times, God is putting teed up opportunities in front of you that he's saying, take advantage of this right now. Now, John Wesley, John and Charles Wesley, great pioneers in uh, the evangelical movement. John Wesley said this, do all the good you can by all the means you can, by all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people that you can, as long as you can. I mean, what a great statement from Wesley. Hey, 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 just be good, do good, love. It is the whole mindset of Mother Teresa as she served those broken down poor people of Calcutta. Just, just go out and do all the good you can. You're not going to take anything with you when you die anyway. So you might as well use it to advance the kingdom. Now, here's some things. I want you to get this. What are some of the obstacles that keep us from really being available. Selfishness? Yeah. Philippians 2 says, do nothing out of selfishness. Do not merely look out for your own interests, but also look out for the interest of others. If, if we stopped and look around and spend a little time in observation, who's hurting and needs help? 
It's, it's not about me. Sometimes I have to slay whatever my agenda is. You can't be a self-centered, self-consumed person and a servant of Jesus at the same time. It don't work. The two don't mix. So one of the things that hinders us is just being straight, uh, selfish, self-consumed, me-ism, right? It's all about the dig-me profile that people try to present. It's, like, it's not about you. Here's the second thing, being a perfectionist. Hey, 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 if you can't do it right, there's no sense in doing it. Then which one of us is qualified to walk with Jesus? Which one of us is qualified to sing, to pray, to share the gospel, to wash feet? If you've got to be perfect, who's qualified? We're all in here today with a track record full of failures and heartache and pain and rejection. And anybody exempt from that? And some people go, hey, hey, when it's just right, then I'll get involved. Ecclesiastes 11.4 says, if you wait for perfect conditions, you'll never get anything done. Hey, I'm waiting for everything to be perfect. When? When? Look in the mirror. It ain't happening. You'll never be perfect. You'll never like every hair on your head or zitless face or whatever you're trying to figure out. There's no person perfect except the one who conquered death hell in the grave. Here's another one. Oh, obstacles. Uh, 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 I'm selfish or I've got to be perfect or money hungry. There's so many people that are money hungry. You can't serve God in money. That's what he says. No servant can be uh, serving two masters. He'll hate the one and love the other or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in wealth. So, Mike Esposito, we got to make a, de a decision. Am I going to be a kingdom builder or a wealth builder? Am I going to be about advancing God's cause or my cause? Am I stockpiling for me or for him? Am I laying treasures over there on the other side or am I trying to see how much stuff I can get right now? So here's the thing. Here's the thing. Be available. Be available. Overcome the obstacle of being selfish, the perfectionist, or even money hungry and power hungry. God goes, let that go. I just want you to make yourself available and see what I'm able to do. Here's the second one. Be thankful. Be thankful. Thankfulness is so crucial as we do life. John chapter 11. They're ticked off at Jesus. They're ticked at Jesus because his buddy Lazarus got sick and he's died. Mary and Martha and all of them, I mean, the people that were there gathered around, they're mourning and they're mad. And they basically were telling Jesus, you don't know how to be God very well, because if you really were good at being God, you would have showed up before he died, and we wouldn't be dealing with all this. So you don't know how to be God very well. Anybody ever told God he don't know how to be God very well? God ever screwed up any of your calendars and didn't just come through exactly when you wanted him to, and so it's really God's issue, right? So here, here's what's going on. But the scripture says that when Jesus is there, when he approaches this tomb, Jesus said, Father, I thank you. I thank you that you have heard me. And I thank you that you have really heard me. And I knew that you always hear what I say. But because of the people standing around, I said so that they may believe. I mean, you're talking about being rejected at times, being attacked at times, being absolutely, the religious people hated him. Here he shows up and a cat's dead laying in a tomb. And he goes, I just want to thank you. 
Do you have the ability to thank God no matter what's going on? One of the things that erodes at the heart of who we are, our ability to give thanks again, is that we don't feel like God's good to us. We, we don't. We feel like God has been holding out on us. God has betrayed us. God has ripped us off. God has made me in his image. He has redeemed me with his blood. He has filled me with his Holy Spirit. God is absolutely worthy to be praised 24-7. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. When you're high and when you're low, praise the Lord. But here, here's, here's the problem. I wrote a couple things down that I think are really major issues at times, though. And, and, and they become obstacles uh, of giving thanks. We compare and we criticize other people at times. Romans chapter 14 verse 4 says, Who are you to condemn or criticize God's servant? They are responsible to the Lord. So let, them, uh, let him tell them what they should do and what's right or wrong. He goes on to say the Lord's power will help them do it. A lot of times we criticize and condemn other people. Comparison is the death of contentment. As soon as you start to compare, you'll never be satisfied with how God's made you. Yeah, I'm, I'm serious. Well, I would get up here and sing, but I just don't sound as good as Lisa. Lisa sounds like Lisa, okay? I, I, I would do something, but you're comparing. C comparison slays thankfulness. And then criticism. A lot of times we put people down and we dog other people because we feel insecure and inadequate and inferior ourselves. And he's saying right here, stop, stop that. Who are you to criticize and condemn somebody else? We're on the same team. Do you hear me? If we know Jesus and we're under the blood of Christ, everybody that belongs to the body belongs to everybody else that belongs to the body under the head. We're on the same team. We have the same assignments. We're on the same team. I'm not competing and comparing with you. I want to see you win. I want to see you flourish. I want to see you become everything that you can be for the kingdom. But one of the things that hurts us in giving thanks is we compete and we compare. Stop it. Be the best that you can be. Here's another thing. We've got twisted motives. Twisted motives can jack us up of being thankful. Matthew 6, 1, beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Say what? Beware of showing off and promoting self. Beware of doing what you do so that other people will applaud you. And I'm telling you, I, I shared this with Nick. I struggled with this last week, big time, okay? I told Nick, we were sitting there on Monday. I said, I'm going to tell you something I struggle with. All right, we were talking in the message last week about the importance of having spiritual disciplines. I want you to hear this. You got to have spiritual disciplines. And I was talking about the importance of hiding God's word in your heart and memorizing and meditating on scripture. All right, I quoted Philippians 4, 4 through a large part of it. I said, Here, here's my struggle in that. Listen, listen to me. When does it become self-serving? I can quote 48 chapters. When does it become not about Jesus and all about you? And I told Nick, I said, Nick, I promise you, I struggle with that. 
if I quote too much, do people lose focus of the importance of Scripture memory and start to go, wow, I can't believe he's memorized all that? Because it becomes self-serving. If you're on a platform and you're playing an instrument or you're singing a song, just put a stinking wall if it becomes self-serving. And I struggle with that because before God, it's easy to have twisted motives. Man, I really enjoyed that today. Yes. Great. Dude, you sucked. Great. (laughs) Stop, stop. If nobody ever said anything or recognized anything, would it still be okay? Would it it be okay? Because a lot of times we do things that are anonymous, but they're not useless. If I only get attention and recognition for what I do, do I have twisted motives that God's trying to clean up inside of me? And I was telling Nick that. I I don't know what you struggle with, but God goes, I care about your heart and your motives. I do. When does something become self-serving, Casey? I was playing through that the other day going, I don't, want it, I don't want to interrupt with what the Holy Spirit is wanting to share. And motives can get all twisted in a heartbeat. According to your marinade, according to your marinade, it can. I've had people look at me and say, is it all right if, if I dance and if I, if I shout? I'm cool with whatever you do. Don't ask me, ask the Holy Spirit. But if you become an attraction and a distraction, why are you doing it? It's not about you, it's about Jesus. I had an old guy tell me years ago when I first got saved, he goes, Tim, look look at me. Dr. Stewart told me this, a Bible teacher. He said, it's not how high you can jump, it's how straight you can walk when your feet hit the ground. Can I tell you, I've been in churches where people could jump high and shout loud and dance crazy, but walk crooked. I mean, if the only time your spirit filled is for 90 minutes on a Sunday morning, you got issues, homie. Because God wants us to be filled with the Holy Spirit 24-7, 365. He don't want me quenching the Holy Spirit inside of me. Do you have liberties to worship? Yes. But you better be able to walk straight. If not, you're starting to say that, man, maybe my motives are wrong. Here's, a, here's, a, here's another one. Be available. In all things, give thanks. Shout to the Lord with joy. Be faithful. I mean, John 17. I love this one right here. John 17. Verse 3 says this. This is eternal life that they may believe that you you know, you, you really are the true Messiah, basically. Here's eternal life, that they really believe that Jesus is the Christ. Verse 4 says this. This is what Jesus said. Father, I have glorified you on the earth by completing the work that you gave me to do. And I, I ponder that in regards to being a servant. Don't you want to say that one day when you stand before God? Father, I've I've glorified you on earth 
by completing and accomplishing the work that you gave me to do. I was born an original. I didn't want to die a copy. I really sought the heart of you, Father. I really trusted the Holy Spirit inside of me. Don't you want to say that? I completed the assignment that you gave me to do. I I finished what you asked me to do. I didn't cut corners on what you asked me to do. I'm like, man, that's what we want to be able to say. I completed and finished the assignment that you asked me to do. I would circle that. I've completed the assignment that you asked me to do. Again, the conversation with my friend Scott Sanderson years ago. Years ago. How do you know, Cash Man, if you're doing what God wants you to do? Great question. Let's talk about that later tonight. Yeah, we'll talk about it. And I'm walking through the day. How do you know if you're doing what God wants you to do? How do you know if you're doing what God wants you to do? And God said, stop it. That's not the question. How do you know if you're doing it the way I want it done? Because you can do what I've asked you to do and not do it the way I want it done. Do it in brokenness and humility. Do it with this radical surrender to me. Do it in faith because without faith it's impossible to please God. You can do what I've asked you to do but not do it the way I want it done. You better be pressing into me to make sure you're hearing my heart on how I want you to do it. Collectively, I've spoken in the word. Selectively, I'll speak in the Holy Spirit who now lives inside of you. Be faithful. 1 Corinthians 4 says... Let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. When others look, let them regard you in this way. That's a servant of Christ. That is a steward of God's mysteries. That dude is only managing and stewarding what God gave him. Moreover, it is required of a steward and a servant that they be found trustworthy. One day we're all going to give an account, right? We're going to stand there and God's going to say, what did you do with what I gave you? The gifts, abilities, the pain, the valleys, the mountaintop experiences. Did you waste it? John Piper wrote a book called Don't Waste Your Cancer. What would you do with that? What would you do with that bad arm? What what, did you do with it? That that was a gift. Seriously? I thought it was a curse. I was always ticked off when that happened. No, 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 no. That was a gift. Much like Paul, to keep you from boasting in the flesh, you were given this thorn in the flesh so that your weakness, you'd have to press into me and you wouldn't trust you. Really? I'm a good, good father. You live in a fallen world where sin disrupted humanity at every level, but that was a gift to keep you from boasting and getting all prideful. It was a gift. I've accomplished you Uh, I've glorified you by accomplishing the work you sent me to do. Don't don't you want to say that one day? Don't you want to be able to stand before God and say that? 1 Corinthians 15, 58, be strong and steady, always enthusiastic about the Lord's work, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Which means everything you do in Jesus' name is useful. Nothing, nothing. So when Mr. Arp, Mr. James Arp, has that motorcycle wreck last year in the summer, and he's killed, 
in the Appalachian Mountains, uh, Mountains there. And I get home and my little dude Caleb is laying on the floor weeping his eyes out. And I said, I said, Caleb, Caleb, are you okay? I, I got to go see Miss Arp. He's 12 years old at the time, just turned 12. I got to go see her. He was my buddy, dad. I said, I know. So we, 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 we walked down to see her. She's sitting in the yard in her swing, probably about six hours old of the news that her husband's been killed. And we start walking up her driveway and she looks down and she goes, Caleb, James loved you. You were his little buddy. He got so fired up every day you came down here and hung out with him. He loved you. Yes, ma'am, I loved him too. I loved him too. I loved him too. So we get ready to leave and she goes, he, Caleb looks at her and says, I'll take care of your yard for you. I'll make sure your grass is cut and everything. She goes, we'll talk about it. So they do the burial. All of a sudden, a few days later, we're down there. Told you I'll cut all your grass for you. She goes, I'll pay you. He goes, no, ma'am, I'm not doing it for money. Mr. James, my buddy, and I want to make sure I take care of you. This is a 12-year-old with a teed-up opportunity to serve. And I was sitting there as I walked back going, that is so cool. A few weeks later, he's down there cutting the grass, and the neighbor, another neighbor, comes over and rings the doorbell, and Barb answers the doorbell, and the guy's got tears in his eyes. This is a dude we hardly ever talk to. I mean, we're friends with him, but no enemy, just we don't talk a lot. And he's like, that little dude is down there, sweat dripping off of him to honor that man. And can I tell you something? And Benji knows it, and Jesse knows it. He's down there blowing leaves for her. They were down there this week checking on her. And I'm like, go serve. Go serve. Not so daddy can tell a story on Sunday, but because your father in heaven says, go serve. Go take care. Listen, high schoolers, find some neighbor that needs help. Take their trash out for them. Clean their gutters out for them. Find somebody to serve. Where nobody is paid or even recognized, it don't matter. That matter. I learned this grinding it growing up with the old man that did drywall for a living. Doesn't matter. An old beat down pickup truck, corner beating sheetrock mud, sandpaper. Time to get her done. Potted meat, banana sausage, and a pack of saltines. We were eating like champs, right? Five gallon e-glue cooler on the back of the truck. That was the beverage for today. No plumbing, make it work, figure it out. <laughs> but you know what? When, you, when, you, when you're out and about and you go, it's time to go serve. It's time to give our lives away. These guys are going to share in a couple of weeks about this missional experience. God goes, go serve. There's babies over there, go serve. Go wipe a butt and clean a baby up. Y'all say it a different way. I mean, that's what you're doing, right? <laughs> I remember looking, guys tell me, well, I never changed the diaper. And I'm like, hey, listen, your mom's at that conference. She's going to be back in two days. I know you had a blowout, bro, but you're going to have to wear it because I don't change diapers. 
I change diapers. I clean up puke. My one buddy, I'll never forget one of his kids, his wife was out of town and the baby had puked all over the floor. And he, he, he was like, oh my God. He got the vacuum cleaner, vacuumed it up. <laughs> she came back in town the next day and she goes, where's the vacuum cleaner? He goes, it's out in the garage. And she walked out in the garage and she goes, no, you didn't. But I tell you one thing about my buddy, that floor was clean when he got done with it. <laughs> but servants, servants are not looking for applause and attention. Let me wrap it with you. Come on. Let me wrap it. We're going to stand there and God goes, go, go love on people. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10, God is not unfair. He will never forget how hard you've worked for him and how you've shown your love to him by caring about other people. Hey. The Father above sees everything we're doing every day. He knows our actions and our attitude behind our actions. If we all served each other, loved each other, rallied together as the body of Christ, and took the gospel to Loganville and beyond, what difference could we make? Don't you want to one day stand before him and hear him say, well done. You glorified me and you accomplished the work that I gave you to do. You did it the way I wired you to do it. Check it out. So I'm reading back through the book by David Platt called Radical. And David Platt is talking about his struggle with Western culture Christianity. I get it. I'm with him. So he said he had read this article. Could have been Baptist, whatever the organization. It really is irrelevant to the point. But he was talking about he read this article Front page publication, new church, or church bills, $23 million new worship center, state of the art. He's like, over here, Baptists are involved in ministering in the Sudan to the Sudanese people, refugees, etc. He says, I look at the article, new worship center built for $23 million and go, whatever. I want to go over here and see what they're talking about in this article. The churches are now starting to rally together and 5,000 have been given toward the Sudanese mission over the last two years. And Platt made the observation, something is royally screwed up if that's the way we think. If we rally our resources together and keep everything simple for the, for the sake of simplicity, we're going to turn air on and have lights. But we're not going to go stupid with buildings and all that. God doesn't dwell in buildings made with bricks and sticks. He deals and dwells in human hearts. We want to release our money to invest in people's lives, people to be changed. So we want to take the gospel from Loganville. You guys will share here in a few weeks about your trip in Mexico. We want to take the, the gospel to Guyana and other places. We want to get out of here. We want the church to leave the building and go serve. But we also want the church to stay on the grounds and serve. If we all rally together, what would it look like?